Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, Seekers, to our podcast, God Beyond the Bible. This is the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers. And, of course, as always, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, and thanks for sharing our podcast with friends. I forget to say that sometimes. Uh, as of the 1st of April, we topped 500 listens, and we're grateful and thankful for every single one. We're currently being listened to in how many countries there, Tracy? 14 countries. 14 oh. countries. Wow. And what an age we live in that when you have a message you want to share with the world, you can do that from a little garage studio way back in the Ozark <laughs> Sticks. Uh, we're all here, Tabitha. Hello. And Trayson. I'm here too. Uh, we're actively involved. Also, I just want to mention we're actively involved in Skyland Ministries, which is actually a podcast that goes out. I don't know. Can you call it? Is that a podcast? Yeah, it is actually it is a, podcast a podcast that goes out from our little church assembly. Uh, you can visit that at... Uh, uh, you, if you're on SoundCloud or any of the formats mm-hmm. that it's on, you can visit that at Skyland Ministries. Uh, you could, I guess, use that in the search yeah, you bar. You can type it into Google, into SoundCloud's website, or even we're on Facebook, and we post our messages there where you can just click on the new episode. And uh, let me say that again. at Skyland Ministries, plural, uh-huh. S-K-Y-L-A-N-D, Skyland Ministries. M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S, that's all one word, Skyland Ministries. And, uh, of course, I choose the topic, and I'm the speaker to a live audience that, that meets there each Sunday. I always endeavor, of course, pretty much to follow the same style as I do here on the podcast. And I think they're, what, over maybe over 150? Yeah, I think it was close to 170 the last time Epis- I counted them. Episodes from Skyland Ministries, so... Uh, you know, more of a church-type setting mm-hmm. than it is the studio, but, you know, same same thoughts. Shout-outs. Yeah, yeah. Um, to Deborah in Arkansas. All right, yeah. And uh, uh, somebody mentioned, I'm going to go ahead and say right here, somebody mentioned, said, well, sometimes I see comments on it. Sometimes there's no comments, but remember that whichever format or whichever uh, platform you're listening, there may or may not be comments on that. A lot of our comments come email. Some of our comments come personally into us. Mm-hmm. So, so just because you're not, go ahead and comment. Just yeah. comment in whatever um, format you're on or whichever have, platform you're on, right? And, yes, and we have platforms on, you know, social media wise on Reddit, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And plus, you can comment and talk back and forth with us on our website. So there's all kinds of ways to get in contact and leave sure. a message for us. Now, this is podcast number 17. We'd like to devote this episode to a topic that's been life-changing to all of us, 
It's the subject of grace. And, of course, we're talking about God's grace. And more specifically, uh, we want to talk about the new covenant of grace by which our relationship with God as believers I believe is dependent on today, and I believe this is very well supported by some really good people like Paul. <laughs> so, uh, okay, in segment one, we're going to talk about what is the new covenant of grace. Uh, first, let's talk about what's a covenant. And to begin our discussion, we need to establish that God is, he always has been a covenant God when it comes to his relationships with mankind. He's always establishing these covenants. Covenant. And of course, he's always one. Man, don't go, well, let's just talk about what covenant is. Covenant defined, a term, and this is actually more of a legal term, but it's a term that simply means an agreement. It's synonymous with a testament, a contract, a treaty, a deal, a bargain, a settlement, a promise bond, and the list goes on and on. Marriages are actually uh, they a are. covenant. A covenant, they are. We, these two covenant together before mm-hmm. God, you know, okay. Many folks want to divide the Bible and God's dealings with mankind into dispensations or ages. I've been through all that teaching and heard all that teaching, such as the Jewish age or the church age. But the truth of the matter is that God has dealt with us as mankind throughout the ages with covenants. Now, some of these mm-hmm. covenants may not, they may be recorded, they may not. He had some kind of covenant with Adam, right? He had some kind of yes. covenant. Everybody, he had one with Noah. He's, you know, so there's covenants all down through there. We may not specifically, we may not know the specifics of those covenants, those agreements, those testaments. That's an important word to use with covenant. There are two kinds of covenants. First, a covenant that is contingent on certain conditions being met. And upon those conditions being met, the promises made in the covenant will be upheld. We will, we're going to refer to this type of covenant as a conditional covenant because God does both conditional and unconditional covenants. Mm-hmm. And there's both in the Bible. You can find them in the Bible. Now, this is the type of covenant God had with the nation of Israel, this conditional covenant. As long as the Israelites followed and observed the conditions laid out for them, God would honor his part of the covenant. He would honor the promises and the blessings. There is, however, another type of covenant that God makes. This covenant is an unconditional covenant. In other words, God makes promises and provisions in the covenant, and there are no conditions to be met. In other words, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this for you, and this is what I have done or what I'm going to do for you, and, uh, and uh, you know, no matter what. Abraham had this type of covenant with God. I want to say something, too. The children of Israel originally, God was a grace covenant with Israel. Yes. He brought them out of Egypt. He parted the sea. He gave them water from the rock. He gave them manna from heaven. But, but he wanted them to be absolutely dependent on his grace, that, that he would just provide everything. But they didn't really want that. But Abraham had the unconditional covenant with God. God promised Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age. That child uh, was promised to be the beginning of a great nation. The child, of course, was Isaac. And the nation, uh, his descendants would become as Israel. The covenant that God has made with us in his new covenant is the same kind of unconditional covenant. This is called a new covenant of grace. You can find that very phrase very several times in the New Testament. And you can even find it in the Old Testament. I'll be reading here in a little bit from the Old Testament. According to this new covenant, the only thing we must do is believe, and the rest is done for us. This new covenant was... Uh, First mentioned by Jesus at the Last Supper, as he was gathered with his disciples in the upper room, he lifted the cup and said, drink. This is the, he didn't just say a covenant. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, And this is recorded in three of the four Gospels. I found it interesting. I think I've mentioned this before. John did not record the Last Supper, the events of the lifting of the cup of the Last Supper in his Gospel. Hmm. He recorded washing the disciples' feet. 
he recorded the betrayal and the other things like that, you know, Judas and all that. But he didn't actually, the lifting of the cup, John left that completely out of his gospel. I just thought I'd throw that in. But anyway, new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. And uh, have you guys got anything to add in that before we conclude the first No, segment? I think that pretty well covers it and sets us up for the next segment. Okay. Welcome back to segment two of God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by seekers and for seekers. Today, our topic is the new covenant of grace. And in segment one, we defined the term covenant. We established that our God is a covenant God, talked about the two kinds of covenants that God has used, the conditional covenant that he had with the nation of Israel, where as long as they met their obligations to the covenant, God would meet his promises, and the unconditional covenant. Like the one he had with Abraham, when he promised a child to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And this is the type of covenant we enjoy today as believers. A covenant that we enter into when we believe on Jesus, and the promises of the covenant are to be met without any conditions or restrictions on our part. And let me throw in there, Abraham believed God, and that was Mm -hmm. accounted unto him Mm -hmm. for righteousness. That was all the covenant required. Go ahead. So in this segment, we're going to explore the fact that if this is a new covenant, as Jesus declared at the Last Supper, then there must have been an old covenant. And we'll ask the question, are we now under two covenants, the old and the new mixed together? Or is the new covenant totally new, replacing and making the old covenant obsolete? Now, this is where a lot of believers get all tangled up. We spend a lot of time reading the Old Testament, which, by the way, uh, means old covenant. Testament, remember, mm-hmm. is another word yes. for covenant. So even our putters together of the Bible, <laughs> they put testament, covenant. It, it would have been really cool if they'd have said old covenant, new covenant. But really, to be honest with you, it's not really divided right there at Matthew and right. Malachi. It really comes to the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. The new covenant starts at the Last Supper. We're all still old covenant up till the, but that's in a whole other episode. Anyway, uh, so we get we tangle get all tangled up. We spend a lot of time reading the Old Testament, and as we read that Old Testament, we often are not aware that we are reading God's dealings through His covenant with the nation of Israel under a conditional covenant. You do this, I'll do that. Yes, right. You do this, I'll do that. Uh, a lot, if not most, believers today are confused because they do not differentiate or separate the two covenants. They hear. Uh, teaching and preaching that mingles the two covenants, the old and the new. And to be honest, that's why there's so much confusion. When you read the events of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, that is really the covenant of the law. God's, and and if, as you read it, God seems to be unappeasable and angry. And then you read who Jesus says and, and demonstrates that God really is, the loving, merciful father figure who loves his creation. And the two seem incompatible. And that's because they are incompatible. They're, right. And I'm going to go ahead and jump in and say this. When I understood this, this was a catalyst. This was a defining moment in my faith when I was able to realize the two covenants. And so I just encourage everyone, listen with an open mind and really hear what we're saying because this totally changes the way that you see We're God. really saying what the New Testament says. Yes. yes. We're really saying what Paul came. He came as a new covenant flag bearer for this new yes. covenant, and he was all about this. You can see this all through his writings. I was amazed when I... But I'd always been under the influence of those. No, now listen, you know what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. What I, the influence I was under. 
Now to our segment topic or question. Are we under both covenants or the old conditional covenant of keeping the laws, regulations, and ceremonies and the new unconditional covenant of grace or does the new covenant replace the old covenant making it obsolete? Let's allow the Bible to answer that question for us. I know the first thing, the legalist, and I, that's the title. I don't know. I shouldn't put labels on people. The one who thinks the old covenant of law is still in play and will uh, first thing they're going to say is that Jesus himself said he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And that is exactly what he did. He fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant, making it no longer any effect. Right. What did it require? Death for sin. Yes, yes. He fulfilled it. Yes, he did. <laughs> and so let's get that in our mind. What the full, What was the requirement? Death for sin. Mm -hmm. And what did he do? He died, died for sin. sin. Okay, let's get that straight. Gosh, we got, we're going to do one time, we're going to do one of these on just the issue of sin. Yes. The is sin issue is settled. We need to right. talk about that. Okay. So let's allow the Bible to say what it says. Let's let the writer of the book of Hebrews explain it for us. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13, beginning with verse 6. But now Jesus... Our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant based on better promises. Verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Verse 8, but when God found fault with the people, he said, now I'm going to start right here. The writer of Hebrews starts quoting from Exodus chapter 25. Okay. But when God found fault with the people, he said, quoting from Exodus chapter 25, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Judah and Israel. We're reading that from the Old Testament. Now, don't forget. Verse 9, this covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. What kind of covenant was that? Conditional. Conditional covenant. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Verse 10, but this is a new covenant. There it is again. I will make with the people of Israel on the day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 11, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everybody from the least to the greatest will know me already. Verse 12, I will forgive their sins, and I will remember them their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's the end of the quote from Exodus. Then the writer of Hebrews goes on in one more verse in verse 13 and says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is no longer effective and is destined to disappear. I think it says fade away in some mm -hmm. translations. All right. Now, think of what's being said. Let's read that last verse again. He's talking about what God was saying in Exodus to the children of Israel. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is no longer effective. It is destined to disappear. The writer of Hebrews spends the next two chapters explaining why we are not obligated to the old covenant, but under the new unconditional covenant that Jesus brokered in his own blood. The new covenant he raised, uh, that's the new covenant he raised the cup to at the Last Supper. Now you guys got to jump in if you got something you want to say. Now, 
Paul, who is credited with nearly half of the New Testament writings, wrote volumes trying to tell his readers that they were no longer under the law. He even wrote a letter to the Galatians and Trace, and I think you have something on that. He even wrote a letter to the Galatians warning them of the danger of trying to mingle the old covenant law with the new covenant of grace. He asked this question, who has bewitched you? You were not saved by the law, he states, neither did you receive the Holy Spirit by the law. So why are you trying to return to the law? And actually what I found was interesting, of course, everyone who knows me knows I love little bits of random information. They well, just, stuck just, in my just share the whole argument like you did earlier with us about this whole argument thing, kind of, or just whatever you've got there that you want to share with sure. us about grace versus the law. Well, I started looking into, because I've been, a, if you want to call it grace revolution or whatever, um, I have been very strong into the New Covenant of Grace for years now. So I started going back and reading some of the things that say why the law needs to be balanced with grace. And I found a lot of things. Some of the larger quotes were preaching pure grace leads to a careless life or removing the law gives people a license to sin. But I thought I want to throw in there. I heard oh I've heard that. I've been preaching oh, yeah. grace for you. I've heard well, you're just giving people a license. Well, first of all, I don't think they need a permit to sin. I think they can do it anyway if they want to. <laughs> exactly. That's what they want to do. I don't think well, you're giving them permission. I, oh, how crazy! You know you what? Know. It's, it's it's control people. It's it control. Is. I'm going to control you. I'm going to control your mind. I'm going to control everything about you. You do. You share my creed, and you do what I say to do. Or you're not right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But grace without balance is permissive. Grace doesn't say to err is human. But now you're not saying this. It. You're reading this quotes not, from other this people. This is a quote that okay. was, and it says, the quote is, grace doesn't say to err is human, but don't worry about it. True grace says that to err is human, but you have the almighty God so you can rise above sin and be holy. Oh, that's a dangerous quote, isn't it? It is. It's it really just, is. Because then if we could rise above sin and be holy, why did Christ need to die for sin? Well, the next one is without balance. It negates Christ's sacrifice. And the quote is, If God is prepared to look the other way when we sin, why did he turn his back on his son on the cross? And you know what? My answer to that is this. He did not look the other way on sin. He fully exhausted his wrath on, uh, for sin on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. Folks, it says he died for sin once and for all. Issue settled. It's taken care of. We are reconciled according to Colossians 1. We, he has reconciled all creation with himself through Jesus Christ. Now, you can read that any way you want oh, to yes. read it. Any translation you want to read it, it says the same thing. Go ahead, Tracy. Well, and the final one is hyper grace isn't real grace. Well, we got to give it a title. It's hyper grace. Yes. Easy believing is not real grace. Rejecting sin through the power of Christ is the only true grace. Uh, it's it's a that's incompat that's an incompatible concept. What and does grace mean? Grace, grace means is unmerited favor. It's getting something you do not deserve. M mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? Yes. And I hear people say, "Well, I want God's justice. We want God's justice and judgment. We want." Do I you really? Is no. that what you want? I don't. I'm thankful for that grace. And I have to read this. I found okay, this comment, and I absolutely loved it. This pastor says, "Grace cannot be balanced. The instant you try to balance God's grace with anything, it's no longer grace." Amen, brother. Very well said. You can add a tea bag or coffee to water. 
And it's no longer water. You now have tea or coffee. And it's the same with grace. Anything you add makes it something else. That's right. But my last thing was there's actually a theological term for those who try to balance grace with the law. It's called Galatianism after the Church of Galatia. And why? Because they were trying to return to the law after Paul clearly says it was grace that saved you. Grace gave you the Holy Spirit. Grace gave you the gifts of God. Grace did all of, delivered you and freed you. And you want to go back? Mm-hmm. You want to turn back to that? Okay. Well, that's going to bring us down to the end of segment two. Welcome back to segment three of our podcast, God Beyond the Bible. In segment one, we defined the covenant and discussed how God has used different covenants and different types of covenants through time to maintain a relationship with mankind. And that brought us into segment two, where we established that as believers today, we fall under the unconditional new covenant with better provisions and better promises and are in no way obligated to the old covenant and the law's and demands that it made on the Israelites. Which brings us into segment three, where we will explore the question of why it is that the church today, who is clearly under the unconditional new covenant of grace, seems to insist on placing laws and demands of the old obsolete covenant on its people. Well, if you've been around the church scene very much, you've probably heard some teacher or preacher say, yes, we are under grace, but that grace must be balanced with the law. There we are, that balancing that Tracy talked about earlier. In other words, some grace, some law, uh, each being used and taught where it's most convenient. Uh, it's clear when you read Hebrews chapters, chapters 6 through 10 that this concept is flawed. And then you read Paul's discourse to the Galatian church who were trying to do just that by mingling parts of the two covenants. It should be apparent that we are in no way obligated to the laws and rules of the old covenant. Yet, we seem to continuously hear teaching and preaching to the contrary. Now, while there are a myriad of reasons people choose to mingle the conditions, uh, rules and regulations of the old covenant law with the unconditional new covenant, uh, and we'll take time to look at a couple of those obvious ones. And this is probably from me, but one of the first and main reasons many want to mingle the law with grace is the fear factor. I call it the God's going to get you for that approach. Years ago, when I was a kid, there was an old George Jones and Tammy Wynette song tune that said, in the title of it, God's going to get you for that. I had to look that up on YouTube did you listen and listen to it. To, oh, I did. What yeah. a song, huh? <laughs> God's going to get you for that. Well, God's going to get you for that. I thought it was really funny, too. <laughs> Don't, there ain't as, no need to run and hide. He knows I'm going to quit saying As I was reading this, um, <sighs> Shania Twain in the early 90s, her very first album had a song called on it called God's Not Gonna Get You For That. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, It seems to me that many church leaders are convinced that people cannot be trusted with the liberty and freedom. Tracy mentioned that. That's one of the concepts. That that just plain people cannot be trusted with the liberty and freedom that comes from the from being right with God just by accepting Jesus, which is, in essence, the new covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. It's really more about controlling people with fear than it is about keeping the law, isn't it? It is, yeah. Contrary to this mainstream approach that man needs to be afraid of God, Jesus came to present us the loving Father that declares a father-child relationship with us. Jesus said, 
If your own child came to you hungry and asked for a piece of bread, not one of you would hand him a stone and say, here, eat this. Or if your child asked you for a fish to eat, would we hand him a snake instead? Jesus concluded that if we as human beings were compelled to give good things to our own children, how much more is our loving Father willing to give good things to those of us who ask? And I kind of have to step in here, and this is going back into, we just released an episode on whether hell was eternal. Right. And it kind of goes back into that Augustine if way of If anybody's still listening. Yeah, if anyone's still <laughs> listening out there after that episode. But it goes back into that Augustine way of thinking of, you can't do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. You have to have that fear of punishment. You have to be motivated. Mm-hmm. We have to be motivated by fear. It has to be fear. We need to scare people into falling up because he's a fearful, it's, it's a fearful and I, relationship. And I have to ask this question. Both of you are parents. Um, as a parent, which side is more satisfying? When your child does the right thing standing right in front of you? Or when you find out from someone else that they did the right thing when nobody was watching them. Yeah, that's the Absolutely. truth. And, that's, yeah. that's what and I think God's the same way. Uh, Jesus came combating the old covenant perception of God as a distant, angry, unappeasable God, replacing that perception with the perception of a loving father that desires and provides the best for his dear children. And in response to that, we will then say, Abba, Father. If you read that somewhere anywhere in the New Testament, so Jesus said, then we'll cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. We'll call him, it's a Daddy relationship. It's not our Heavenly Father, wherever you are, it's <laughs> Daddy. And we will do the right things because we don't want to disappoint our loving Daddy. You know, right. we've got the motivation, sure, we should do the right things, but we should do the right things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And the right reason is not because God's going to get you for that. God's going to get that's not. <laughs> well, in, I got that song playing over and over in my head. <laughs> and it kind of gets stuck in it your does. head. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I will say this for myself, and all I can really do is give my personal testimony. Okay. I have spent years, you guys all know, battling anxiety and mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. And I realized within the last year that a lot of that started from how I viewed God and how it was so bad at one point in my life that every time my kids got sick, I was going, what did I do to make, you know, what did I do to make God mad that this is how he's, and this, when I realized this, it took such a weight off of me to realize that he just wants that relationship, just like I have with you right now. Let's go back while you're bringing that. Let's bring that back. Let's go. Let's take it all the way around where Jesus said, uh, uh, they, the man was, was blind, wasn't he? Or crippled. Mm-hmm. I can't remember from birth. And they said, Lord, who's sin? His yeah. sin? Yes. His daddy's sin? Why is he like that? His daddy, his mama, who sinned that caused him? But Jesus said, uh, nobody. Right. <laughs> nobody. Exactly. It's not got anything to do with sin. The second reason our spiritual leaders today seem to want to mingle conditions and rules and laws with the new covenant is self-righteousness. Man is not comfortable with eternal life from God being an unmerited gift. In our ego and our self-righteousness, we want to think we did something, we contributed something to earn our place with the immortals. There's a story that's fitting that I think explains this phenomenon of us wanting to contribute our salvation, uh, contribute to our salvation instead of accepting a free gift. It's the story of all things, the joy cake mix. It's actually the joy instant cake mix. Sometime in the 1940s, a company came up with the big idea to create an instant cake mix that had all the necessary ingredients dehydrated into, uh, into a powder, and where all the cook had to do was add water, stir it, pour it into the paint, cake pan, and bake. There's a box of this, I am told, 
of this Joy Cake Mix in the Smithsonian Institute. Uh, however, this first instant cake mix was a total flop. It was a failure. Women who were primarily the family meal preparers of that generation and that day rejected the convenience of the product on the basis that it was too easy and they did not feel like they were making a real contribution to the family meal by merely adding water, steering it up, pouring it in the pan. Even though in taste tests, the taste of the cake from the mix could not be distinguished from the cake made from scratch. Many, many said it was because it didn't taste. And when they finally got the women and pinned them down, the women were saying, well, it just don't seem like we're cooking. Mm -hmm. Okay. A couple years later, another company that is still in business today developed their own version of the instant cake mix with a slight difference. They left out a couple ingredients, such as eggs. They left out ingredients they knew every kitchen of that day would readily have on hand. It was an immediate success since by adding a couple of their own ingredients, the cook felt as though they had made a genuine contribution to the cake. Now, people seem to have the same approach to receiving the gift of eternal life. It's just too easy. How many times have I told someone, they said, there's got to be more to it than that? Mm -hmm. I've had people leave our congregation because they just could not. No, no, I've got to do something. There's stuff I have to do. It's not that easy. Uh, well, I'll just go out here and sin and do everything. You know what? The people I know that embrace grace do not go out here and just live a life of debauchery. No. And if we have to do something to earn that, it takes away from what Jesus did on the right, cross. Right, the opposite of what the other writer yeah. said that Trayson quoted that said, for us to not do anything takes away. When we do yeah. stuff that adds, how crazy is that? Okay, it serves our ego to think we did something ourselves to contribute to salvation. So like the successful instant cake mix, if we throw a few rules and laws in the mix, we're doing some of it ourselves, which actually does not contribute at all. Quite the opposite. It takes the gift of eternal life that Jesus suffered and died to purchase for us and give us freely and reduces it to a reward. And we think we've earned our, our own good mm -hmm. works. I was good. At, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I was really, you know, it wasn't hard for me for God to save me because I was always, you know, a good person. Well, so it's just Jesus. Jesus is an addition. Many people view what Christ did as an addition to it was just I just needed a little bit of his suffering on the yeah. cross. It didn't take a lot for me. Well, I needed a lot of it. I'm just going to yeah. be honest. <laughs> we all needed everything he did. Yes. Now, the third reason and many leaders in the church community like to adopt bits of the old covenant law is money. The tithe is not a new covenant concept. Visitor episode in the church and money. I can't remember exactly which one that is. The tithe was a part of the conditions of the old covenant with the nation of Israel. The modern church has conveniently adopted this old covenant law <laughs> to make demands on the believer for financial support. This concept is not promoted in any fashion in the New Testament concerning the new covenant church. Those who promote this as an obligation of believers always refer to the provisions and conditions of the old covenant law. Uh, anybody got anything to say before we conclude this? Y'all, do y'all have anything well, you want to add? The here? only thing I wanted to say is, you know, if the tithing statement bothers you, go back and look at the Old Testament and look at what tithing was for. It was for the Levites so that they would have food to eat and be able to make their own sacrifices. And, and let me go ahead and say this too. Isn't it amazing how we pick and choose? Uh, yes, yes. Now we've got to balance grace with the law, but we're going to just pick and choose the convenient ones. Mm -hmm. 
that I can convenient. wear my clothes yeah. made of two different yeah, fabrics. That, that can, <laughs> yeah, that, and, and we don't have to. Oh, my goodness. Are we ready to conclude? I think so. The conclusion. When Jesus lifted the cup at the Last Supper, it was a defining point. It was a move by our Lord that signaled the end of the Old Covenant with all of its rules, regulations, and requirements to be right with God and rang in a new covenant that would be unconditional and accomplished by his death and his resurrection, a covenant that he himself brokered and serves as a high priest for every believer today. That's why he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us today. Our being right with God, listen to me, listeners, our being right with God is not contingent on our own performance, but on his performance on our behalf. Yeah. You know, in the old covenant, the old covenant, it was on the high priest performance. If he did everything right, they had good crops. They had, we don't have the day. We don't have some man represented. We've got Jesus Christ and his performance is perfect. He has taken care of everything. And God bases his blessings on us on Christ's performance, what he did. We sincerely hope this will open up a new world of liberty and freedom for each of you as you learn to embrace the gift of eternal life that God has provided for us through Jesus and the new covenant he set in order. Do not allow men to put demands and requirements on you that God did not ordain. You'll become the Galatianism or whatever that is. <laughs> Accept the gift and all its benefits that belong to the children of the Most High God. Jesus paid dearly for it. He paid the ultimate price for you to be made right. Nothing to add to the cake mix, folks. Right. Nothing to add to it. Until next time, God's grace, peace, and love, and all the promises and blessings that go with the new covenant of grace on you, my fellow seekers. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.